On this week's episode of Talkstone, we recap the last ever HCT Seasonal Championship. We needed the time break a tussle, but we finally have our field of 16 for the World Championship. And as always, we present this week's well-played moment and, of course, meme history. Everybody, get in here. Let's break down all the esports action. Welcome to Talkstone, your premier source for all things competitive Hearthstone news and analysis. My name's Frodan. And I'm TJ. And this is our last seasonal championship breakdown. In fact, it, it does include all the playoffs and whatnot. It's just the wrap-up of the year of the Raven going into the world championships. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and give some initial thoughts and reactions to this news, TJ. I know this is a very sentimental thing for you personally because yep. as a Hearthstone caster that kind of basically went through it all. I think you've casted all the opens, you've done the, the, the large invitationals, you've traveled overseas, done it online. I mean, heck, I even remember you doing the, the championships for America's remotely on the secondary stream. Yep. Was it with Dart? That you it was with, with Dart, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Oh, man. This was back when Admirable competed the in the championships. The Ballroom, 2014. 2014. But the year that Firebat won. This is our yeah. first World Championship campaign. And I remember Admirable was a top 16 player at that he event. Was. And you were casting online remotely. So you've you've kind of gone through it all. And I remember you kept telling me throughout the years that playoffs and champs were just your favorite thing to cast. Yeah. So go ahead and uh, give me your thoughts on Yeah, on it's everything. it's a, a little bit sad to see it go. Obviously, I'm excited for the new system. You know, I joined the Harson Esports team two years ago. So um, I, I got to see the planning from the ground up for the new system. And I am excited about it. But... Of course, anything that you get your start in and see it all the way to the finish, you'll always be sad when it goes away. <laughs> and playoffs and championships were always special because, and I think you said this on the broadcast, is just because of the work that it takes to get there, right? You have to earn the points necessary to qualify for playoffs. You have to go to playoffs. You have to uh, be in the top four out of 70-plus of the best competitors in your region. And then you have to go to a championship a few months later and compete in a 16-player pool to get those four spots to the world championship with some of the best players in the world. So you, you always knew that it was a tough path to get there, and I just loved seeing it from start to finish every season. And for that reason, I'll, I'll, I'll miss it. Um, but I think we did go out with a bang. I think we had a lot of fun uh, on the broadcast this, this past weekend, maybe even too much fun. Definitely Dan. too much fun, if you ask me. But – it was still a, a fun way to go out. I think you had a little too much fun. I, I like always have a little too all, much fun. <laughs> I feel like almost every cold open that we do, for people who do, who missed the, the winter championship, we basically uh, have largely turned a expert and analysis desk into a very scuffed version of Saturday Night Live sketches. <laughs> We're basically like, you know, the, the wannabe Lonely Island group at this point. Yeah. Uh, with TJ being our Andy Samberg. Um, and we just basically Thank do you. a bunch of random inside jokes as content, and for some reason, they keep hiring us. <laughs> well, they work. I, I think that they're fun. They're funny. Uh, for the, a little biased. For there, the 10 but. people in the audience that did see where those jokes originated, it's hilarious. Yeah, well, five of them are the other casters, TJ. <laughs> True. And, and, like, two of them All are right. the production crew. All right, so three of the people in the audience right. that have seen it from the beginning know exactly what's going on. It's yeah, funny. Yeah. But uh, I, I like those. I like doing those. It's fun. Did your mom ever commentate on it? Because for people who don't know, TJ's uh, mother is also a performer. She is. Um, 
and she used to watch a lot of TJ shows yeah. back in the day, and she used to actually send TJ messages about me, yeah, saying like, "Oh, I really like that uh, that that random Asian guy you cast with." <laughs> and then TJ, her, her words, not dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually Monk the entire time. Yeah, uh, TJ was like, "Yeah." Um, uh yeah, my mom watches all my shows. Does she still do that? After you know, years later. Down she the road? she still watches a good amount. Uh, so does my dad actually now. Oh, that's uh, awesome. He got into it. So in. does Oliver watch too? No. Well, actually, he he watched with my wife over the weekend because she just puts it on the TV and watches it in the background. Um, and uh, she'll send me pictures of him like watching on the TV. Oh, but that's cute. he's seven months old. He doesn't know anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, Oliver's TJ's what six month old baby at this seven, point? Seven. Yeah. He's seven. Well, big. between six and seven. Between yeah, six so and he's seven months. Almost yeah. ready to open his first uh, pre-order, I believe. <laughs> yes. I think uh, what is it? Nine months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we allowed to. It'll line up perfectly. Uh, actually, Dan Hearthstone is rated T for teen. Ah, really? I thought it was yeah. T for everyone. And as a strict parent of my seven month old son, who gets in a lot of mischief. Uh, he's he's not allowed to play Hearthstone until he's 35. <laughs> okay, before we, not to get too derailed, this is the last uh, story, I, I promise. <laughs> but uh, I visited my sister who recently also gave birth, around the same time actually, about a month after mm -hmm. uh, Karen did, your wife. Um, and it was our first grandchild of our family, so it's a really big deal. And I, and I get to meet him for one of the first times. And I was like, oh, so take a picture, you know, like to commemorate this moment. I'm an uncle, blah, blah, blah. And my mom was like super happy. And my sister's like, wait, before you take that picture, you have to know I do not want my baby's picture to be on social media. So please find a way to block it out. So, you know, Twitter doesn't have many great tools, but they have smiley face emojis. So I decided to put it over the baby's face. <laughs> and then not like two minutes later after I post this, like, I'm an uncle now, smiley face. With the baby picture face covered. TJ posts like a bunch of pictures of his baby and how he's trolling him on social media the entire time. And uh, and then Derek Brown, another ACT caster, uh, captured this in one timeline tweet and wrote, there are two kinds of people in this world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just thought it was a little funny dynamic there uh. back and forth. Anyways, back into winter championships because you can tell me and TJ clearly – uh, have problems staying on track here. So we hope that our producer can hold us accountable. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the results to start things off. <laughs> so the first thing that I want to call out, TJ, is that all four regions finally showed up. It, yep. it took three years, but we finally attained the balance that we were looking for in terms of regional representation. Uh, 16 players, four from each region, eight players in the top eight, two from each region, top four, one from each region. Yeah, that it was better than that. And if you look at the overall, we always throw up the records by region graphic. It was around fifty percent, even for the bottom two, which was Americas and Asia Pacific, uh, which is really cool to see. And uh, most of the championships that we've ever broadcast has always told a story of one region dominating over another. Even if you look back throughout twenty eighteen. In summer, it was all about the dominance of Europe. We had Bunny Hopper, Viper, and A8 all in the top four. And then if you went to the fall championship, it was all about the dominance of America. So we had Bloody Face, we had Langham Tracker, we had Just Saying uh, in the top four. So this season, I was expecting something to be shaken up. Um, I was honestly expecting China to do really well, and they did. They were the, the top record, but uh, they didn't get too much. They didn't get as much representation in that top four. Uh, or even to the World Championship, as we saw Americas or Europe did in the previous seasons. But it was just cool to see them and Asia Pacific step up in a in a big way. And Asia Pacific ended up taking the entire tournament with Roger uh, being the winner. Yeah, it so. was more. I mean, it's more of a, a victory for the East. I yeah. think 
you always get better. Like in Hearthstone, <clears throat> I feel like a player is often as strong as his practice group. If the player is by himself, he has to be like an absolutely brilliant, like, you know, one of a kind genius. And I look at players like Kalento, for example, who like really just does not practice very much with other people. He usually takes his own experiences. But at the same time, you know, uh, I think Kalento's experienced a lot more stiff competition these days because when you go up against a player, if I play against TJ, I'm not going up against just TJ these days in the Taiwan show match at the, the Arsenal All-Stars. I'm going against the people he talks to. And TJ hangs out with, you know, the likes of Muzzy and Ike and Saiyan and Amnesiac. Same thing with Admirable and same thing with like all these other players. They just have a group of support. And then, you know, when you're competing against them, it's really tough. So, you know, I really like that, um, you know, the East was able to finally show up. And maybe what's really cool is that that's starting to change a little bit. One thing that really stuck out to me during the interviews was uh, the players were picking Xiao Ti as a top player in the yeah. world. And that's really fascinating considering that they can't even talk to him very much about Hearthstone. Like, you know, the communication is limited. And that's just unusual for someone from the West that's very respected, like Bunny Hopper, to pick Xiao Ti when everyone's like, no, Bunny Hopper's the best player in this tournament. He's one of the best players in the world. Yeah, and you know, just to, to that last point that you made, we have had more exposure as of late because we have had like English broadcasts of some of the invitationals in China and you know, uh, like the China versus Korea invitational. So we have had more insight into it. And also... Uh, a lot of European players traveled over there, what, late last year, I think, right. uh, for Europe versus China. And they get to interact firsthand. They get to play against a lot of the players from China. Uh, and that's I think that's kind of where that comes into now is we do have more exposure than we did in the past, but still probably not enough. Um, but we'll see how that shapes yeah. up in the future. And one last point on this before we uh, move on to the breakdown is I was looking – to see if Tom winning the world championship last year would inspire kind of a new wave of Taiwanese players. Mm -hmm. And we have seen that happen now. Absolutely. We saw Blood Trail make a, a pretty dominant performance throughout 2018, uh, qualifying for the world championship, winning the Taiwan All-Stars event, and now Roger winning a, a seasonal championship. Uh, I think that's a big deal. And I don't know if it was because of Tom, because Tom inspired them to win. <laughs> but at the very least, it, made Har it put Hearthstone – uh, more so on the map in Taiwan, which oh, yeah. makes people be a little bit more motivated at the very sure. least. After Tom won the world championship uh, a little over a year ago in Amsterdam, he got recognized by the president of the country, which yeah. is uh, pretty sweet, you know, to say the least, for being able to win. Also, he won a lot of money, and um, you know, he was able to follow up that performance by making playoffs every year or yep. every season this year. But um, I do want to say that Taiwan has also historically been a very strong country in general. You look at 2014, Tom 60229 was part of the World Championship in 2014 along with Frozen Ice. And then you have players pimping an HCT open system like UCCU was able to go through or Malagos TW or uh, Samuel Tsao, you know, who made a run almost as far as Tom. Tom had to eliminate Samuel Tsao yeah. in the quarterfinals of last year's World Championship. So I think Taiwan always has great talent. Um, people kind of lump Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan, and Macau as one region. But specifically, Taiwan, in my opinion, has always been a heavy lifter. There's a fantastic amount of players in Asia-Pacific that don't get enough opportunities. And I always feel like that was the limiting factor. I believe this year, I said multiple times during a seasonal championship that this would probably be the year of Asia-Pacific based off that inspiration of Tom. Yep. And, you know, to a certain extent, there are some more Asia-Pacific stars rising up, but it's just Asia as a whole. China started stepping up, too. I've been very impressed by Ye Ying. I think, he, you know, he made the world championship. We'll, we'll talk about it more in, in a little bit. 
Um, but also just the quality of players that were able to come through. I, you know, I think Tai Miao, uh, definitely a solid player. Um, and, you know, I can't wait to see if China can follow up this momentum because, you know, two years in a row now, TJ, we've had someone in China in the semifinals. Yep. And I think the players that are coming can also do that uh, in yep. in in uh, come April for the yeah. Taiwan Championship. I agree. Jing as well, and we'll talk more about him. But let's uh, dive into the group breakdown. Sure. sure. Uh, and uh, we'll get through these pretty quickly. But Group A, Viper, Knoblord, uh, Yu Ying, and Tansoku. And uh, this group was pretty interesting because it had a, a large mix of, of lineups. Viper coming in with a aggro lineup, but with Malagos Rogue. Yeah. I, I want to call it like a, a Chinese-inspired lineup. So one of the championships, I believe this was actually as recent as the most previous season in fall, the, the Chinese players brought three aggressive decks and a Malagos Druid. And it was yeah. kind of interesting because we're like, if you're going to bring aggro decks and you want to target a strategy that's weak to aggro, wouldn't you want to just play all aggro? And they said that, well, one, Malagos Druid was just like almost too good not to bring. But yeah. two, it was because the strategy was to punish specific slow decks, and Malagos Druid at the time, and to be honest, still now, is really good at beating those slow control decks or those uh, slower combo decks. Um, and now Viper has the same thing, where it's like he doesn't necessarily just want to punish like a a slow mid-range hunter, for example, um, with aggressive decks. He just he also wants to beat the the combo decks that are out there with a with one of the fastest combo decks that are possibly out there in the meta. Like Malagos Rogue can kill on turn five or six. Yeah. If the the stars align, it's like way better than the not turn nine clone priest. It's way better than like the the twig on with Malagos Druid on ten. Um, it, it gets pretty nutty, pretty quick. Yeah, it does, and. Um, actually, the Malagos Rogue ended up being his downfall, but not for the reason you'd expect. He didn't lose against the fast aggro decks. He ended up losing against the other slow combo decks right. because he couldn't get the job done. And then later on in the tournament, Malagos Rogue, when he did play against the aggro, de aggro lineups uh, that we thought would, would give him some issues, that wasn't even the downfall yeah. either. It was the <laughs> Murloc was Paladin. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of a, a little bit of a backwards yeah. uh, scenario. Uh, for him, but he he did make it out of groups in in second place, and the player that made it out of groups in first place, which you had mentioned that he had impressed you a lot, was uh, was Yu Ying. So uh, he had the most, uh, I think, one of the most unique lineups because he was just kind of an all around good lineup player. He had some fast decks that weren't too fast, right, to be yeah. targeting uh, the the con anti-control decks. But then he also had control decks, but they were hedged anti-aggro. So it was like he had all of these right. middle-of-the-road decks. Yeah, he had, like, Odd Rogue, Malagos, Druid. I think the way I describe Yang's lineup is that he lived under the rock lineup for two months. He forgot that <laughs> all these nerfs came in, like Cold Blood came in and nerfed Odd Rogue, and, of course, Wild Growth and Nourish and Spreading Plague and... Innervate and every every card in that deck. Literally every card. At this point. <laughs> Almost every card. I was like, so he he's he's kind of like I'm gonna handicap myself willingly. Yeah. And uh, submit this lineup, even if it seems you know outdated in theory, uh, and played extremely well. And so I was very impressed by Yang. Um, I also was really rooting for uh, Tansoku because I just like the guy a lot. He's very approachable, very relatable. And, um, you know, actually, here's a, here's a little funny story. <clears throat> Tazoku, he, he ended up bombing out of groups here, so uh, a little bit sad for him. But at the very end of the event, uh, after the championship has been finished and we all went back to the hotel, TJ's like, hey, I got to go home and take care of my family. I'm like, okay, great. You know, obviously responsible adult. 
Tonsoku uh, and the translator were greeting us in the hotel lobby and asked all the cashers to sign his phone case. And guess who wasn't there? Me! TJ <laughs> wasn't there. And he was the only person that signed Tonsoku's phone case the last championship he came. Yep. And so he's like, oh, no, I I really, I can't, I specifically stayed just to get all six cash to sign my phone case this time. And TJ, my hero, wasn't here. I'm like, well, if you combine both phone cases, you have all six. Yes. But this time around. I'm going to personally sign a phone case <laughs> and send it to Tansoku or, just so he can have it. Yeah, that's true. Or we can, maybe, maybe the best way to do it is just to, like, give a digital copy of it so he can print it out. Like, yeah. Label it that way. Yeah. But um, that's just a little funny aside. Uh, Knoblord definitely played below his expected level. I think mm-hmm. this guy is a uh, was one of the dark horses of the event. I had a lot of faith in his technical ability, um, and it turns out his technical ability came, became his downfall. He made a yeah. lot of mistakes, even just straight up thrown games. But the thing that I liked most about Knoblord was that he was the most critical about himself. He immediately posted like, "I watched all my games." And realized I made this mistake, this mistake, this mistake, and kept going on and on and on about. I was like, "Geez, man, you know, most people they just like to internalize that. Like, okay, I know my mistakes, and then they tweet out like one simple summary: made a lot of mistakes, didn't deserve to win, gonna come back stronger. But Knoblord just bears his entire soul in front of the entire internet, just saying, you know what? These are like the 15 things I messed up, and uh, you know, sucks to lose. Yeah, and I'm like, dang, this is. Very raw, and I, I was very appreciative of that. Yeah, so was I. I. Even asked him about it in his interview, and he said, "You know, what? I'm going to give another analysis for you later today." But Knobbler also had a few, I think, gaping holes in his lineup, where he had yeah. one deck in his lineup that was very weak to antique control, which was the Odd Warrior. So he already had a yes. disadvantage going against the control, the antique control lineups, and then he had APM Priest, which had a big gaping hole against aggro decks. So it was like in every series he went in. As the underdog, it felt like right. Yeah, it and felt like a couple of things had to fall his way. Yeah, in exactly. Order to you know, be able to escape out. I mean, I don't think it was a terrible idea to bring Odd Warrior because we saw Definition go very far with Odd Warrior. Yep. But uh, you did bring a good point, and you know, even though Nodwar doesn't make it through, uh, I think he is a player still to watch out in the future because his he just has such a good mind for the game, and I think those players are really scary because. Uh, they come out of nowhere and just destroy those opens or whenever they go to a tour stop. Um, so keep your eye out for him in the future. For Group B, we have Jing, Bloodyface, Faeli, and Tyler. This is actually a, mat- um, a group that I thought was the hardest group. And after watching Jing play his first series, I said, oh, this is definitely the group of death. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was highlighted by the fact that um, both, uh, well, actually, specifically Jing, brought a very weird Zoo Warlock deck featuring Grim Rally. It almost felt like a token Warlock at one point, where it was just like trying to go so wide onto the board and utilize the plus one, plus one buff that you get from Grim Rally and sacrificing a minion. Um, there were a little bit of... There was a little bit of faltering at the finish line, but uh, Jing ended up ultimately making the top four, getting first in the group, and I think he was a standout performer. Even though Bloody Face got just as far, and even though we all know how good Fiali and Tyler is, I felt like Jing was a standout player. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And I even think uh, going up until uh, he was knocked out of the tournament in the semifinals, he still was playing really well. It's just that he had some really poor panouts with the, the Zoo Warlock that ultimately was his downfall, where at one point he had like double Grim Rally in, <laughs> in his hand, yeah. and he was just trying to search for, for some answers uh, against Bunny Hopper. 
and it didn't work out. But also got to commend him for just uh, that creative line of building and capitalizing on what he saw as a hole in the meta. It speaks uh, a lot about a player's decision-making with his decks. When other players in the tournament are talking about what you brought and say, oh, I wish I knew about that deck, I, I would have brought it too. I, yeah. I think three people mentioned that, and they all happened to be uh, more aggressive lineups. You know, Bloody yeah. Face was like, yeah, I was looking for aggro lineups. I just couldn't figure it out. And I think Jing brought, like, a, a format-breaking deck. That's a very high compliment, saying, like, yeah. this is the best deck that's undiscovered right now. Um, you know, and Bunny Hopper was thinking the same thing. He's like, yeah, you know, like, even though that, you know, he, he didn't have as high praise as Bloody Face, but he's like, I was looking for an aggressive deck, and I realized that there were better options out there. And most people don't think about that when they bring a Warlock deck. It's Cube Warlock. It's... Um, it's even Warlock. I mean, people were even considering Mechathune Warlock if it wasn't so vulnerable to certain strategies that yeah. are out there in the metagame. Um, people weren't really considering Zoo, a timeless classic. For only a limited time, too, because of the Hall of Fame announcement. I'm going to miss Doomguard. I'm sure Admiral is going to miss Doomguard a lot. And I think Jing gave it one last good spin, at least at a championship, uh, before we rotated out in Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, going down that group a little more, Tyler, he just had a tough tournament, man. He... Didn't play up to what we know is its standard. Yeah, uh, ended up uh, being the O2, the last place in that group. Granted, it was a tough group, mm -hmm. but uh, there were some uh, pretty obvious missteps from Tyler right. along the way. And, you know, he's qualified for the World Championship. He's had a tough couple of months, and I think nobody even would have expected him, especially with what he's been going through in his personal life and how little prep he was able to do going into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Nobody even expected him to make it to this point. And honestly, nobody would have blamed him if he didn't even try. Right. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, Tyler just needs to kind of forget about this appearance at the uh, at the Winter Championship and look forward to Worlds with a little bit more time and a little bit more prep under his belt. Right. For Tyler fans out there, I think you know it's understandable based off his performance and. You know, he did go zero two, like you mentioned, and he has been taking a few months to kind of. Um, you know, move past uh, the grieving phase of what happened to his father, which our hearts still go out to him and his family. Um, that being said, I'm kind of glad that it panned out the way it did for multiple reasons. The first is that, TJ, if you don't bring good decks and you don't play well, in my opinion, you don't deserve to win. Yeah. So, you know, and that happened to Tyler. He didn't bring meta-cutting decks. In fact, he got very lazy with his preparation. He said, I just brought the same decks that I basically brought to the playoffs. And I was like, well, the meta evolved. I mean, there's an entire nerf patch that came through and changed the metagame and you're just going to bring the same exact thing and hope it works so one, well he didn't bring the same exact thing he didn't bring even shaman but you know he he basically just copy paste effectively the same concept just odd and even decks and just yeah. do whatever um so that there's one two tyler had a lot of missteps where it just looked like he was unfamiliar with some late game scenarios and to his credit if you've never seen those, they're very hard to navigate through, but that sure. also goes to show you that diligence and practice can come up big, especially in those unconventional scenarios. And you contrast that with Bunny Hopper, who was put in many weird late-game scenarios, and he seemed to navigate it almost perfectly. I'm sure there's a couple of small errors you could have optimized, but it's like you want to get close to perfect as you can in those really wonky scenarios, and, we, and we'll talk more about that in the group stages. Uh, and then the third thing is that I love that this will have be an opportunity for Tyler to be motivated and realize he can't just coast. There are some players that when they qualify, they do tend to take it a lot easier. They take their foot off the gas pedal and say, you know what, I'm already qualified, so I'm not going to put as much effort. I trust my practice, and I'm not, not going to put as much reps in. And um, it's a delicate balance because some players, it helps. For, for example, I think 
Muzzy was a player that definitely overpracticed. He played way too much Hearthstone. Yeah. I think he was experiencing some burnout. So him easing up on the gas pedal actually helped him start achieving those results. Yes. Um, and it helped him have a more balanced mindset. Uh, and it has happened for Nerea as well. Nerea was like a player that got top 10 legend on both servers every season. And then the moment he started relaxing, uh, he started making the championships back to back. I think nowadays he relaxes a little too much. <laughs> so I think he's gone off the deep end on that. But I mean, I think Tyler was gradually getting to that point where he was known to play a bunch of games and grind and then started getting a little complacent. So I hope this lights a fire under him and is able to get him ready for the world championship because if he does the same thing, I'm just like, you know what? It's post-rotation. I'm just going to go with the low-hanging fruit, play like day one decks. I think he's going to get stomped at World Championships if he does, if he carries that mentality, yeah. TJ. Yeah, and uh, Tyler even said in our interview with him when we sit down with the players that he prefers to have a fresh meta when going into a tournament right? Uh, because he likes to capitalize on working really hard in those first couple weeks to find a, a hole in the metagame and then capitalizing on that. So uh, I think that Tyler's going to do well at Worlds, and I, I think he just needs to hold his head up from here. To add to your example... Tyler did bring like a very interesting variant of Token Druid back when he'd made his first championship run. Yeah, you're and right. And he was the one taking a risk and saying, you know what? I think you bring the the Stone Shell Scavengers, and I think you build like this more taunt oriented version of Token yeah. Druid. And a lot of people were like, no, you just play the classic Token Druid. That's just good. And Tyler just wrecked the entire field with that, and then people started copying that result. And yeah. so I think Tyler will come out really strong for the World Championship. I'm just saying I hope he doesn't feel he doesn't continue the same kind of preparation, which I don't think he will. I'm just kind of setting that storyline up in case one or the other happens. Yeah. Well, we have some time. He's got some time, and uh, uh, we'll see what ends up happening. But uh, Fiali uh, ended up going one two, barely not making out of groups. Uh, Fiali. Uh, he had decent decks. I mean, you saw what uh, a similar lineup of his was able to accomplish mm. uh, in the finals, but there was a couple holes, and I think Q-Block uh, was definitely yeah. one of them. Uh, Q-Block definitely struggled. Basically, all the non-Zoo variants of Warlock struggled, and it was just Cube and, and Even, yeah. uh, because they, they kind of got beat up by everything. They got beat up by the aggressive strategies, and they also got beat up by the anti-control list, because nowadays, in the current Hearthstone meta, Combo decks reign supreme, right? Uh, combo decks just feel faster. They feel like they have multiple win conditions outside of just piecing together a combo. And Cube War Warlock just seems like one of those decks that is just a little too bad at everything uh, to, to get the job done. Yeah. Unless they have a skull on five, your opponent doesn't have weapon destruction, and you win the game very, very quickly, mm -hmm. it falters a lot. Because his technical play is perfectly fine. His technical play was great, and it just so happened that his lineup was, right. wasn't but, able to get get the job done. Yeah, you know, Malagos, Druid, Cube Warlock, those were just vulnerable spots that could go wrong yeah. disastrously. So you have to be very, very cautious with what you bring. I do appreciate the risk, though. I do appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And the uh, last player in Group B was Bloodyface. Uh, Bloodyface still made a top four appearance, still looked like he is a solid player, but he he did underperform based off of how much we were hyping him up coming out of fall championship. Um, he looked like the best player in that tournament and, you know, no shade to language hacker because language hacker played very well and obviously deserved his victory. But bloody face was the player that, that pr proved that he could make creative plays in bizarre situations. Mm -hmm. Language hacker had a great meta read played like nearly perfectly throughout the tournament but Bloodyface made those couple of next-level plays that stand out in your mind right. uh, for a long time. And this tournament, 
honestly think he he made a lot of plays where I, I just had a uh, just slapped a big question mark on him because they just didn't seem like the bloody face that I knew. And I think that's honestly because we had talked to him in his interview and he said it was really hard to find practice partners. Yeah. He said he didn't have a good support network coming in, and oftentimes he resorted to practicing against himself right. to practice his lineup, which, which uh, further increases your biases. It further increases your biases. It also is very hard to separate your brain from convincing yourself you don't know what's in your own hand on the other side of the table. Right. And uh, a lot of the, the points that you made earlier about the repetition, knowing spots, being able to see spots, um, in, in certain uh, games, which only come after hundreds, thousands of games on a deck, yep. uh, it, it blurs those lines because you were seeing it from two perspectives. And uh, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think that's probably what caused this this underperformance. But we call it an underperformance, but he still made top four. So that should tell you something about our expectations. Definitely a good way to wrap up Group B. Going to Group C. We have Definition, who end up in first place, Ike in second, Time Meow in third, and Thunder Up from fourth. I think in terms of the, uh, in terms of the like technical skill level, this definitely was the biggest wild card because we don't know how good Thunder Up and Definition can be, given that there are there are more rookies onto the HCT Championship stage. Yeah, I mean they've been in playoffs, but uh, we didn't really hear much about them. And Definition looked good in the beginning. I think he crushed his group, and he felt very good. I mean, granted, he did match up against Ike in the winner's match, and Ike was saying, like, I just don't want to play against Definition. He's like one of two lineups I just don't want to hit. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being the case. Uh, Ty Meow coming in at third. I think he was another disappointment similar to, like, a, a Tyler or Nobler, which is like, this guy is just not playing as good as we know he can. Because a previous championship, we all agreed, as talent and even as a lot of the, the, the players, that time he outperformed the best out of all the Chinese players that mm -hmm. represented, even though none of them made it. I don't know what happened here, DJ. I, 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 I'm kind of lost a little bit. Just, he just he missed lethals. He was a little bit off on his macro game plan where he's just utilizing resources, not recognizing opportunities to be aggressive or maybe being too aggressive. Uh, just He just looked off. He did. He did. He did look off, and he also suffered from kind of a similar fate that we talked about with Fieli, where uh, he had the Q block in his lineup, which yep. – uh, he had some of the more dominant games on Q Block with the whole I play Skull and Five, you lose uh, type of situation. But pretty much every other deck that he played, he missed a lot of spots mm -hmm. uh, with Quest Rogue. Um, you know, I I have played a lot of Quest Rogue, and I've talked with a lot of players about Quest Rogue, Killing All Day specifically, <laughs> uh, Antare. You know, uh, I've uh, that's basically where that was my Quest Rogue dojo. Uh, was a call with Tare and Killing All Day. Um, and uh, I honestly think that he didn't play a at a championship level uh, with at least a few of his decks. And that's not what we we've known from him. And maybe it's because it we heard in his player interview that he didn't practice as much as he probably could have uh, leading up to this event. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly what happened, but yeah. I, I think Dex had the, a large thing to do with yeah. it. But it's also technical play, so I think it just means like a, a overall a, a subpar performance relative to expectations that we have from him. Yeah, looking at Thunder up, you know, I can't pinpoint one thing exactly either. There's definitely some lines that looked a little indecisive and uh, going one way and then changing his game plan altogether. Yeah. I, I wasn't particularly against his lineup. 
But well, at the same time, it didn't feel like it was well fitted for the meta. It was it, it was the same case that you made before, where it was kind of like an old lineup. Right. This is like a, a two month uh, ago good lineup where he had Secret Hunter, the only player to bring it. Uh, he had even Warlock, Odd Rogue, and Control Priest. So those were four very dominant decks at for playoffs. playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Thunderup said that part of the reason why he brought this lineup was because he spent so much time traveling to get his visa because in Turkey. Uh, unfortunately, it's not very easy to travel to the U.S. or even just travel out of that country. So he spent a lot of time traveling, being away from his uh, his friends and family and his significant other. And he was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't really have a lot of chance to, to practice, unfortunately. So I had to bring stuff that I knew for a fact how to play with the back of my hand. I think that just means that he's naturally behind, though. He has yeah. to have certain panouts. And when Spellstone's a turn later, when Auto doesn't have Cold Blood... Um, and, you know, Control Priest is largely muscled out unless you somehow miraculously line up against an even Warlock. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a difficult lineup to achieve a lot of good results. So he had to get uh, some really good, fortunate matchups, and I don't think he got any of them. So I think it's logical that he ended up fourth here. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that point. And final player for Group C was Ike. Ike. Definitely not last. Definitely not last. Definitely and not least. Ike, uh, he was so confident in the Odd Paladin. He loves Odd Paladin. He's like, this is just a good deck. I kind of, you know, prepared for this tournament holistically. Mm -hmm. He prepared for it given that he could not expect what the field would be. He just brought what he thought were the best decks in the metagame, and Odd Paladin was one of those. And boy, did it struggle. And I don't want to say it struggled based off its win rate. I want to say that Every match seemed like it was on a razor's edge. Every <laughs> yeah. match seemed like it hinged upon one draw, one thing happening. It was so close. And, uh, you know, Admirable, who's a big fan of Ike, he streams with them all the time, talks with him. Just watching Admirable watch Ike's games just made me nervous <laughs> because yeah. of how crazy it got at times. I, I was telling people in the backstage that Admirable won Ike to win more than Ike did. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was just screaming and roaring and stroking his beard. <laughs> and, you know, it was he was popping off. The tiebreaker between Ike and Definition, I've never seen Admirable more invested other than the one time Firebat won that world championship. Yeah. Which is another meme history for another day. Uh, let's wrap up Group D here. We've been kind of running over time. Uh, Bunny Hopper, first place, expected result, brought an aggro lineup. No one was prepared for the aggro lineup, crushed it. Uh, enough said. Uh, Roger ended number two, and I think he just ended up getting on the right side of a lot of the, the mirror matchups. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like Lion King and Bobby X, even though Roger did have some uh, shaky series, like, for example, I think he should have actually beaten Bunny Hopper in, in their head-to-head -head for the first place. Mm -hmm. I do think that uh, Lion King and Bobby X also didn't deliver as much as they could have, and they also brought some decks which could be vulnerable. Like, Bobby X's Malagos Druid ended up losing a lot. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, I, I I, just was pretty underwhelmed outside of Bunny Hopper in this group. Yeah. Someone had to get second place. Yeah. And uh, Roger and Lion King actually brought nearly card-for-card card exact lineups. Thing. Right. But then Roger kept winning the mirrors. But Roger kept winning the mirrors. <laughs> and, you know, it was uh, – you can uh, sometimes it's a part of the matchups, but I honestly think Roger just played those matchups better, yep. and it felt like Roger was powering up as the uh, yeah. as the tournament went on. He had a really rough group performance, especially in his matchup against Bunny Hopper. I don't know if he got in his own head or what, or if he was on autopilot. 
Copeland, he had some of the roughest games I've seen, uh, specifically the Questrog versus even Paladin game, where yeah, it just felt like he one. was he was just making plays. He wasn't even thinking about it because he figured once he completed quests that he would win. But against a player of Bunny Hopper's caliber, you cannot do that. You have to have everything buttoned up or he's going to exploit you right. forever. He's and that's for a punish, yep. Yeah, it's exactly what Bunny Hopper did. He took even Paladin and beat Questrogue in fatigue because right. Roger just, uh, you know, kind of flubbed at the end and didn't keep track of his resources. Yeah, it was like he had like six Nav Engineers in the end of his hand, or at the end of the game, and he has zero cards in his deck, and that's like the only minion he has left. So we're just like, well, this yeah. this only ends in one way, taking 1,500 fatigue damage. You, you should never lose in fatigue with Lap Recruiter in your deck. Right. Even though Valera was in his bottom six, um, you still should be able to, in that case, with how good his start was with Sonya, with South Sea Deckhand, completing right. the quest on time, enough lifesteal in his hand to sustain the game. Yep. Uh, but I think that motivated him. And like I said, Roger powered up yep. throughout the throughout the tournament and, and took that to heart. That's honestly kind of like the story of a lot of these Asian players. Uh, when they travel and they don't, tra they don't travel very often, they sometimes just get better as the days go by because they get more used to the schedule and then they kind of get the uh, the competition under the belt. Yeah. Same thing with Blood Trail, too. Blood Trail seemed to get a lot better as the championships continued uh, for the one that he actually showed up to. The other one where he didn't show up to uh, and kept playing Kelseth and Stitch Tracker incorrectly. Uh, we won't talk much more about that. We beat that, <laughs> we beat that dead horse. Let's quickly break down the top eight. You mentioned Rogers on a rampage. He ended... Uh, on top with a 9-1 score in top eight. That is dominance. It was like a good combination of the right draws, the right plays, and uh, momentum seemingly to, to just be on his side. A little bit of an underwhelming anticlimactic grand finals, but um, you know what? We got a lot of mileage at that tiebreaker tussle, DJ. Can we talk about that for a few minutes? Absolutely. So in the, the tiebreaker tussle. In top in the top four, we had Bloodyface, uh, Roger, Jing, and Bunnyhopper. And Bloodyface and Bunnyhopper are already uh, world-bound uh, by the the previous seasons. Bunnyhopper from winter, Bloodyface from the fall season. So we had to play for the top uh, for two more spots. But Viper had already also qualified, and he made top eight. Therefore, instead of four players playing for two spots, we had three players. This set up a really awkward bracket scenario because if it was four players, it's very simple. You just have two matches and then whoever wins just goes to the whoever wins just yeah, goes through goes through so what we did was he essentially seated one player ahead of everyone as if he played a, a by player like that player got disqualified and you just played a normal hct group um so you have to uh win two uh, or basically whoever loses twice uh, gets eliminated yes those the two, the two players that was so dramatic the way it happened um because definition beat ike for the second time that tournament plays Yue Ying, which is one of the coolest series of the tournament, and he loses, and then he plays Ike again for the third time this tournament, loses this match, and is now out of contention for the World Championship. Ike gets the 16th spot. Definition loses to Ike once this tournament, uh, does not get the World Championship spot. And to add insult to injury, he also lost against Roger in the top eight, which would have given him a championship spot. So this guy had three series three chances. to go to the world championship and lost all three. That is soul-crushing, to yeah. say the least. And as I said, Roger kind of powered up as the tournament went on. It honestly seemed like definition unraveled. He powered down. He powered down. Yeah. And I honestly think it was just him. No experience, right? He earned nearly all of his points with his ladder finishes. 
He got what like out of a six month period, he got five top ten finishes, right? Which is insane. But that doesn't translate to tournament play. And uh, in the group stages, he was kind of just on autopilot. He and in a good way, you know, he was playing decks that he was comfortable with. He was wrecking people with Hakkar Druid, right. making good reads, doing some crazy plays. And then those complicated decks that I know he has a lot of practice on and he knows very well, his brain just kind of, with all the pressure, with three chances to get a world championship spot, every single one he lost, the next series he just looked more stressed. And yeah, it ultimately and he had to play three series in a row for the tiebreaker, yeah, too, which is also which like is brutal. a real fatigue concern because uh, you just look at how emotionally invested he gets into it. You know, hands and hands uh, out on his face, all constantly looking away from the screen to try to take a deep breath. That kind of stuff, you know, it's just you know all symptoms of a person that's trying to fight his inner demons. And um, I, I, I mean, we've watched Surrender a lot, but Surrender has so much experience now that he's no longer the nervous, uh, frantic player that we used to see. Back when Surrender first competed, I heard so much hype about it, but he just never really delivered to the level of expectations from his teammates. Hoy and Sixo would always talk about. Finally, you know, last year, I think he really came into his own and started streaming a lot more and finally became accustomed and adjusted to it. I really hope Definition learns from this and comes back stronger. Because even though Yeying and I get this spot, Definition was the closest out of anybody, I think, to get a World Championship spot and missed it. Mm-hmm. And um, those kinds of moments make or break players. Either mm-hmm. that becomes his motivation to come back and people remember his name uh, despite his, his uh, shortcomings, or that's just the last we've ever heard of this guy. Yeah. Because it's just too hard to come back. And you know, I think this is where he'll truly be tested. He thought the hardest part was uh, losing. The hardest part is getting back on your feet. Yeah, uh, and with definition losing, uh, we also have come to an end of an era uh, because we're left without a Korean representative at the World Championship for the first time. That's right. We had Kranich for back-to-back years, which is very impressive early on. And then we had Dahyoni and Handsome Guy 2016, and then 2017 for Amsterdam was Surrender, who put on quite the performance, and everyone thought that was the beginning of the end for Harsin Esports. Like, oh no, Korea's going to take over! Surrender's so good! Um, and they honestly kept delivering. There's a lot of quality players from Korea. You're looking at uh, Koko Sasa, who's always made uh, really deep runs, and everyone looks at Surrender, and there's just a lot of talent in that region. Um, and they're also really fun to watch. I gotta say, the Invitationals with like Vergerwins and Daihuni are always such a blast. I don't know how they keep making like discard warlock win in those matchups, or doing like really memey stuff all the time. But uh, I, I fully expect Korea to make a bounce back in the following years. Because if there's one thing Koreans uh, hate more than anything, it's losing. Yeah, <laughs> they hate losing so much. So, uh, you know, good luck to Definition, good luck to the rest of South Korea, but we're going to have to move on to the World Championship without them this year. So with that, TJ, any final thoughts to close the championships before we preview a little bit about the 16 world's players? Yeah, we uh, we kind of memed about it a little bit. We made some sentimental comments about how we're sad to see the HCT Seasonal Championships go, but it's not the last of HCT just yet. We still have the World Championship to go, and I just want to say that uh, I want to go out with a bang. I want to give HCT the proper send-off before we switch over to Hearthstone Masters and Hearthstone Grandmasters, and uh, I I cannot wait. What's and even though I'll be a little sad for the next couple of days, we're recording this right after we got done with the seasonal championship. Yeah, I'll be I'll be probably be sad for a couple of days, but uh, a lot of still fun stuff to come in the future.
So we have the 16 Worlds players uh, decided, and I think this is really exciting because it might be a preview of what's to come, not just, of course, for the World Championship, but maybe for Hearthstone Grandmasters in the future. We'll see. Uh, and I want, Let's start things off with the points leaders, TJ. And the reason why I want to start it off is because if we look at the last two championships, what do they have in common? Is that the winner of the entire World Championship was a points leader. Ah, yeah, Tom60229, who led Asia Pacific, and Pavel, who won the last call of Europe That's right. back in 2016. And if you go back, you know, Oskaka and Firebat, these are two players who had to prove themselves over and over despite people not knowing their names. And then they became household, uh, you know, household names eventually. I think one of these four players, DJ, is going to win the World Championship because that's just a trend. You, you don't get to be the points leader on accident. And, and I'm going to be very candid. There are some players who went through a championship in the past years. I wouldn't say this year, but in the past years, there's been players who've gone through a seasonal championship, and I felt like they got more lucky than because they were actually good. Yeah. And I felt like uh, that's none of the case with points leaders ever. Any last call, any points leader situation, those players are all killers. Hunter Ace, Muzzy, Tyler, and Shouty, and they all have championships under their belts. So I'm looking at these four to be the core four of the entire event. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this season was kind of – or this year of ACT was kind of tougher than ever when it came to points. Right. Uh, it was competitive because you had ladder. You also had tour stops, which were cut though. You had the same 150 people traveling the world, some of the best players in the world competing for, you know, the same pool of points. And uh, with that said, I think that because we ha we had such a competitive year overall – that the points leaders are obvious favorites. But honestly, if we look at the qualifiers for summer, uh, we had Bunny Hopper, Viper killing all day in A8. You have to look at Bunny Hopper and Viper because even though they weren't points, leader in, points leaders in their region, they were still up there in points. And Bunny Hopper almost won two HCT championships in a single year. So did Bloodyface. He almost won two, got to the finals. and Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that, look, that's as good as it gets to get into the top four multiple times. Bunny Hopper almost won two seasons, which it would have been absolutely absurd to think yeah. about. Um, I was kind of hoping he would win because uh, I, I brought this story up, I believe, on the, the, the last day of broadcast. But Bunny Hopper was the first player that we saw qualify through the open HCT system. We started off with Europe of the winter season in 2016, yep. and he was one of the players that went through. It feels like it was a, his his anime, if you will. He ends up in the final year of the HCT Open Seasonal Circuit and crushes it. It feels like he finally attains that level of dominance that people should be recognizing him for. So I was really hoping that he would uh, end it with a win because it, it would be a proper bookend. Like he comes in the first season and then goes through a bunch of setbacks and comes back even stronger. He's also qualified for every single seasonal playoff, and yeah. that's also a record held by, like, a handful of people. Yeah. I think him, Tice. Noblord. Well, I was talking about Europe specifically. Oh, Europe, Europe's, okay. like, even more competitive, yeah, too. Yeah, true. Um, I think it's just those two players that I think off the top of my <laughs> yeah. head. That's just how elite of the elite it is to, to qualify every season. For Europe, because it's so freaking competitive. I think Colento is also another player that did. Yeah. Maybe. I think he may have missed one season. I think he did miss one It's season. just so difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, but can't, can never count out killing all day. <laughs> you can't count out. <laughs> we haven't really seen him in 2019. Who knows? It may be the year of killing all day. Yeah. 
he still competing. He still goes to tour stops, uh, still hangs out, and he still has a great mind for the game. But, I mean, I think everyone's doing the right thing, A8 included, mm-hmm. is to uh, hibernate a little bit. You know, rekindle that passion because, you know, being very candid, if you just play all day, every day, you eventually lose a little bit of that uh, that fire, that flair that really sparks your, your inspiration. Pacing yourself because it's, you know, in anything, especially in card games, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Yeah. So I like that killing an eight, taking it easy. Viper decided not to be the case. He traveled more after qualifying for Worlds and made another top eight run in a seasonal yeah. championship. So we'll see whose uh, schools of philosophy end up coming on top. Is it Viper, who's constantly engaged and is hungry for more all the time while doing really fun meta-breaking lineups, uh, for better or for worse? Or then we have A8 and Killin' All Day, who are more chillin' and yeah. relaxing. Uh, then uh, from fall, we had Lango Tracker, Bloody Face, Bloodtron, Just Saying, uh, kind of the America's domination. Uh, similarly, uh, Just Saying, who honestly we can put him in the points leader category because... He was the actual. <laughs> That's true. That's he was true. the actual points leader. I was talking about Fuzzy, but you know, just saying. Uh, I mean, okay. The reason why I, I I was kind of dismissing that was because Muzzy was the points leader last year. Yes. And also in 2016, he was also the number one points leader, mm-hmm. but we didn't invite them directly. They had to play in a top eight. Yeah. Which uh, I believe he lost, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So for three years, Muzzy's been effectively the points leader in terms of uh, what that role serve, but Saiyan is the number one points leader for NA this year. Yeah, it's just that the championship uh, top four right. takes precedence over points leader. So, yeah, add him to my, I said the core four, but the fantastic five. There you go. Is just Saiyan in that move. <laughs> I'm just uh, going to keep expanding this club until we hit the, the sweet 16. I mean, they all have a lot of points just naturally from championships, but Blood Trail uh, definitely had a big finish to 2018. Uh, with uh, you know qualifying to the world championship in fall, and then of course uh, winning Taiwan All Stars, he's got to be a player to watch. And then of course, Bloody Face, who even though you know 20 minutes ago, whatever it was, I said he underperformed. He underperformed based off our expectations of him, but he still got top four. He's still a world caliber caliber player, and I think uh, Language Hacker is also uh, kind of uh, a big question for us because after winning. He he didn't do too much, you know. He was never the kind of the guy that that traveled a lot to tour stops out of uh, North America, and uh, but he did win a championship. Uh, that's how he qualified. Um, so we'll have to see how he fares once we once April rolls around. Yep. And then in winter we've covered already, but once again, Roger, Jing, Yue, Ying, and Ike, the rise of China, the rise of the East, and of course uh, one man to fend them all off. Mr. USA himself, Ike. <laughs> What's interesting as a statistic is that America's has the most representation this year at Worlds. Yeah. They have six players. Yeah. Um, so uh, with that, let's go ahead and roll this exciting teaser about the upcoming World Championships. Sound speeds. Uh, camera speed. Scene one, take one. Mark. Words are hard to formulate right now. Amazing. It's the best feeling ever. Yeah, I actually didn't think I could make it. You'll see like one turn I can't I couldn't even like count to five. This is why I came here to do and I did it. I think it's the best day of my life actually. <laughs> Championship. 
Welcome to the tail end of this episode of Talkstone. We're going to uh, wrap up the World Championship teasers and all that previews with two segments that we love here. Those are These are mainstay flagship shoulder content, UJ. We got the well-played moment coming up next. Uh, the well-played moment for me was when I got the uh, exciting opportunity to cast a tiebreaker tussle between Yue Ying and Definition on the last day. And it wasn't just an average cast, DJ. I was joined by the Omnistone crew, <laughs> Kibler and Firebat. And uh, you know it's really it's a really good well-played moment, DJ, when you have two and a half of the sharpest minds in Hearthstone, <laughs> and they are completely baffled about not only what the correct play was, but the outcome and how the comeback was made during Game 2 where Yue Ying was on Odd Rogue up against Hakkar Druid from Definition. Yes. You know, for Hakkar Druid, once they deck out and they kill off their own Hakkar, uh, they just have to swap decks with you with King Togwoggle and then naturalize to make you draw the Corrupted Bloods. Yeah. Usually, you are powerless in that situation as an aggressive deck because if you can't kill him fast enough, you often don't have many cards. But Yue Ying spots an opportunity to utilize Myers and Stable Element to fill up his hand. Because if you're holding 10 cards and you draw the Corrupted Blood, that doesn't affect you. It burns, it doesn't shuffle into your deck, and you don't take damage. Yeah. And more importantly, you fill up your hand with really powerful resources to pressure. However, Yue Ying went one step deeper because Hakkar Druids know that you can burn their uh, the Corrupted Blood, so what they end up doing is filling your hand preemptively and then King Togwoggle swap so that you have zero cards in your deck. And that sets up a mill snare, a classic fatigue where you just wait for your opponent to, to wait out the game. Um, and so Yue Ying is able to go to level 2. And then level 3 is be able to figure out what his opponent can do with his remaining cards and set up a counter lethal while pressuring him. And, uh, you know, the, the coolest part about this play for me, TJ, was that it technically was Definition's game to lose. He had yep. an inevitability win. But because of the amount of mental pressure and the stakes and because Yue Ying spotted the one possible line for his opponent to mess up, he set this entire scenario up, and it panned out perfectly. And that, in my opinion, decided the series because it was a very close back and forth. If Definition won this game, he's probably through to the World Championship. Yeah, and that kind of set the tone for Definition's remaining run uh, in the tournament. But the thing that I liked was just um, staying calm under that amount of pressure because Definition was ahead nearly the whole game. Right. He was, when this moment happened... He was well above 30 health. I think he was close to 40 with the amount of armor that he had. Right. He had an Akar on pretty much an empty board. And you can just play it because he knew that Yoying didn't have uh, any type of silence. So he could trade it in as at his leisure uh, because he knew that Yoying would have to try and put pressure on. And he could wait till his deck was empty to make an easy swap back and kill him with the Bloods. Um, but setting it up to where you can Myra's on the same turn that you kill Hakar, and that was the key, right? He had Baku on board, right. and he was able to trade into the Hakar the same turn that he was able to Myra's and keep his hand at 10. And then even in the following turn, yes, Definition messed up, and he played Togwaggle, which burned the second blood, but Yueying had an opportunity to put even more pressure on the board than he did, right. but he purposefully kept his hand full enough by just playing Firefly, which just replaces itself, mm -hmm. and Fungomancer to keep his hand at 9 so Togwaggle couldn't happen. Right, That's right. the mental pressure you talked about was also just a fantastic recognition of the situation. Exactly, and it's fun because 
myself, Brian Kilburn, Firebat, were really confused by what was going on. And to be fair, it's a very complex late game situation. I I went back and watched part of the VODs, and a lot of the chats like, I, I need someone else to explain this for me. And I feel a little bit bad because I've played the most of Card Druid out of all three of them, and I still didn't know what was going yeah. on. But neither did Definition, and he's the one who brought it to the tournament. Yeah. This is a very hard scenario that you don't get yourself into, specifically because, one, not many people are playing Odd Rogue, and two, you're not in a situation where you just don't have an outright inevitability win because you had to math out fatigue scenarios. So this was a very, very complex late-game scenario that a lot of players were even wrong on. Like, Knoblord was tweeting about like what he could have done differently, and he was wrong. Same thing with Bunny Hopper. Yeah. And that's what I love. When Hearthstone is... Uh, Hearthstone is at its best when it's these crazy, complicated scenarios that you've never encountered. You have to spontaneously find your way through, and Yang did exactly that masterfully, which booked his ticket to the World Championship. Yeah, and uh, the solution for definition was as simple as forgetting everything about his deck, forgetting Hakar, yeah. forgetting Tog, and just naturalizing and letting right. Yu Ying fatigue naturally. So it's like, at the end the of the day, the solution hand. was to just not overcomplicate things and just let your Hearthstone knowledge, not your Hakar Druid knowledge, take over. It's true. And uh, unfortunately, that was his downfall, but... Definitely uh, one of the best well-played moments we've had in some time. Oh, yeah. It was really exciting. The surprise from Firebat and Kibler and myself was uh, very deserved. And we we also earned every single possible Sapcaster's comment <laughs> in the chat because you know what? We, we definitely will accept that if we can watch games like that more often. Yeah, agreed. And uh, speaking of Brian Kibler, Dan, now it's time for meme history for the last time for the last time after a seasonal championship now it's time for meme history <laughs> Dan why, why don't you set this one up because okay. you're you, you are deeply rooted in the the history of okay. this dank meme so for people who don't know, um, I used to do a lot of the final card reveal streams for expansion hype. It would be like me and Ben Brode, or like I think I did one with Matt Place back in the day. Um, and we would show off a lot of the expansion that people haven't seen yet by playing another developer. Um, and I did a lot in a row. To be, like I did like five or six of them, starting from like Whispers of the Old Gods. Um, and then uh, people were like, yeah, you know, Fodan's cool. Or some people were like, Fodan's not that great. Um, they ended up saying, like, you know, we should invite other people, like Day9, who ended up doing some, and Brian Kibler. So Brian Kibler got a chance to showcase the Knights of the Frozen Throne expansion with uh, with Ben Brode back in the day. And it was it was very fun because Kibler is charismatic. Uh, he was laughing a lot. He also made a lot of misplays because i got to say it's very difficult to play correctly with cards you've never seen before and you don't know how their interactions mix. Um, so it was fantastic. And I think people were so excited by that breath of fresh air compared to the same old Frodan all the time. Um, which, you know, a lot of the criticism was warranted, and I took a lot to, of it to heart. But uh, people were so excited that uh, I think one of Kibler's biggest fans made an entire thread that after the uh, the reveal stream said, Kibler was great. And the content of the post was just the same sentence repeated. Kibler was great. And the number one voted comment was, Kibler was great. And then the the sub replied under that was Kib was great, and I just started this entire train where the in, the thread had like a thousand comments. I'm not even exaggerating, and it was all Kibler was great or some variation of it in a different language or in binary code. <laughs> and it was really really funny to watch that evolve. And now anytime Kibler does anything, like whether he 
records his 17th video about Ganon Baku, or he's streaming, you know, Dragon deck or Test Rogue for the 1500th time, or when he's <laughs> I'm just I'm memeing <laughs> at this point, or when he just does a great job casting Hearthstone and does a great job being a community pillar in any game he participates in. People just type Kilber was great, and he was this past weekend. Kilber was great. He was, and you know, um, as meme historians, we do have to dig deeper and. Uh, and, and question ourselves and, you know, question the very core of the meme. And question we, the core of the meme. We, we, we have to ask ourselves, was Kibler really great? Yes. All right. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like you're, le- you're, you're leading me into a, a path that I don't know exactly where it ends. No, nope. I'm just trying to. Was Kibler great? What is being great? Yeah. What is Kibler? And I want, Dan, you to start a Reddit thread for this episode of Talkstone. It says Kibler was great. That says Kibler was great. Right. Well, the funny thing about that is it can apply to anything, even if Kibler's not there. Yeah. It is a little bit obnoxious if it's like an appreciation thread for someone else, and then someone just comes in with Kibler was great. But Which has happened before. Time, Like any good meme, timing, time, place, and matter is really important. I... Wasn't even thinking about the meme. It wasn't even on my radar when we came in to record Talkstone today. Yeah. Uh, but you brought it up, and I felt like it was uh, kind of a necessary bit of education for all the meme youngsters yeah. out there to get caught up with the times and to to truly know yeah. that Kibler really was great. Yeah, and for people who might think that you know there's some bad blood or something between me, no, there's absolutely none. Me and him are good friends. Uh, we hang out even outside of Hearthstone. We talk about a lot of things non-gaming related. Uh, I have nothing but respect. I actually look at Kibler as like a, a mentor to me in some capacities because he's significantly more experienced in all aspects of uh, gaming itself, like game design mm-hmm. and theory. And, of course, he's a legendary player and competitor. Um, nothing but respect for the guy. So I value Kibler extremely highly. I don't want people to misconstrue this as a, some kind of bitter jealousy of like ironic like sarcastic, oh, Gilbert was so great. No, I actually mean it. I think Gilbert's fantastic, and it was such a it was such a good reminder of what what he's why he's great. Casting with him to get the championship because I did miss him at playoffs. We didn't have him. We had Derek yeah. and Gia, which uh, they do a fantastic job too. It's just you know it's just not the same without Mr. Brian Brian Kibler Kibler of Brian Kibler Gaming. Yeah, but we hope this edition of Meme History has helped make the Hearthstone community a more inclusive place. For all. So that does it for this episode of Talkstone. Uh, normally, we usually ask each other where we're going to see each other next. TJ? Well, um, probably the World Championship, but uh, being on the Hearthstone Esports team, we still got a lot of stuff to announce in the in the coming month. Even more stuff to announce. That's, that's true. You didn't talk too much about Grandmaster mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people are excited, obviously, for the first event in Vegas. Yep. I know I'm excited for that. If you guys are going to the Vegas event, either both as fans or competitors, hit me up. We're going to have a great time. Yeah. That's happening in what, June? Uh, According to announcement? June. Yeah. <laughs> I had to uh, uh, look quickly yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, th- at I'm our producer. Based off the public. At this point, all the revealed information is what I know as well. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm just t- telling you guys what's already out there. Um, and then, uh, at least for me, myself, uh, you might see me at a couple events going into it. I think there are a couple of third-party organizers that are looking to try to do, like, one last year of the Raven event. 
Um, so it's going to be good. But, yeah, you'll see me at the World Championships. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. But, look, if you don't you bring back the regular ACT cast at the World Championships, you could DJ, say it. People will riot because Kibler was great. Yeah. <laughs> Coming full circle on meme history. Thanks for watching this episode of TalkStone. If you guys missed any part of the podcast, make sure to check out the video form, twitch.tv slash playhearthstone. Or if you're an audio podcast kind of person, make sure to check it out on SoundCloud and iTunes. Until next time, we'll see you in the tavern.